Well, good morning. My name is Andrew. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'd love to do that. I'm one of our pastors here. Today we're going to be continuing um, our sermon series through the book of Colossians, as you saw by our Bible journals that we've been handing out. So if you have your Bible or your Bible journal, go ahead and flip that open to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 1 this morning. Chapter 1. As we heard from our brother Chris, thanks for reading that for us. Um, so last week we began our, seri- our series through the book of Colossians. And right out of the gate, uh, as, we, as we come to this book of Colossians, we see uh, the writer of Colossians, Paul. He's, he's sort of like cracking open this, uh, this book right out of the gate. And it's like, it kind of reminds me, it makes me think of like, if you ever watch those old cartoons where... Um, you know, there, there's, they have like a box or a case and there's something inside of that case that maybe is like super powerful or like glorious. And they like crack the, the, the lid of the case and like beams of light just like shoot out of the box. You, you know what I'm talking about in cartoons? This is what made me think of like Colossians chapter one. Like Paul has like all of this, this stuff and he's like cracking open this lid for us to see. And like these beams of light are shooting out. And it's like, whoa, stuff that to us is just incredibly profound that some of the, the the largest truths of the universe the truths about Christ and, and who he is and the gospel all these things all found right in this this very first chapter of the book of Colossians stuff that our, our sort of mortal fleshly minds have trouble even comprehending some of the stuff that he's unfolding for us here even just in the f- first few verses of the first chapter of Colossians um, these, these things that for us, only the Spirit of God can help us encounter, understand, appreciate, relish in. We, we have to have God's help. We have to have the Spirit unfolding these truths to us that we see in this chapter, in this book, in, in all of God's Word. And so this morning, let's just ask that the Lord would help us to do that as we, as we engage with His Word. I'm just going to pray and we're just going to ask the Spirit to help us to see uh, what he wants us to see. God, Father, we praise you this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the songs that you have allowed us to sing this morning, that proclaim that truth, that remind our hearts of, of what is true, of who you are, your majesty, your power, your grace to us, how far away from you we are on our own and how sweetly and kindly you draw us near to yourself and so God we just praise you this morning we ask God by your spirit would you help us as we engage with your word we believe that these are your words these aren't just um, letters on a page God these are you these are the words that your spirit has given to us and so we we want to we want to know it we want to trust it and we want to believe it this morning would you help us to do that in Jesus name amen So Paul starts this chapter. In chapter 1, he's writing to the church of Colossae. Colossae, Colossae, potato, potato. I don't know how you say it really, but Colossae. And he's writing this letter back to these, this church in the area of Turkey, and he's, he's, he's sending this, uh, this, this note to them to, to help them, to encourage them. And he, and he starts out by, he, he addresses them, and he calls them saints. He says he calls them saints and he calls them saints because that's what they are. 
talked about this last week. He calls them saints, holy ones, because that's who he sees them as. They are saints, and he calls them faithful brothers. Fully adopted, fully accepted siblings in the family of God. So he's writing to people that he considers to be God's people, Christians in the family of God, not second class, not lower level. Not, he's not writing from a, a, an ivory tower saying like, oh, you little Colossians. No, he's, he's, he's bringing them in with him saying, fellow brothers, saints, faithful siblings. And he encourages them. He, says, he tells them that he is, he is so thankful for them. He's thankful for them, and he's thankful for what he's hearing about them. He's getting word back to him from accounts of people who have encountered the church of Colossae, and they're hearing good things, good reports about them. And in verse 4, he he mentions two things in particular, right? In verse 4, he says that he has heard about their faith in Christ and their love for one another. Their faith in Christ and their love for one another. And, and, and so here we begin to sort of see what Paul does so often, what God helps us to do by his word. The, these patterns and these flows of the gospel, right? The flow of the gospel. And Paul is grateful for what he's seeing the gospel do in their hearts and in their lives. He, he isn't just simply commending them because they're being nice to each other. He's like, oh, I'm just, I'm just hearing that you guys are just getting along really well, and I'm glad about that. There's not a, there's not a ton of infighting and I'm just glad that you're not like at each other's throats all the time. No, he's, he's commending them for something deeper than that. He's commending them first for the, for the faith that they have in Christ, it says. A faith in Christ is a saving faith. A substantial faith. There's substance here to what he's saying. It's not just you guys are, are, uh, are doing pretty well. You're doing all the right things. You're going to church all the time and you're being nice to each other. No, he's, he's commending them for the very root and the source of their faith, the faith in Christ. And, and because of this, he's commending them because he knows that they have been given new life. These are people who are now alive in Christ, who were once dead and are now alive because of their saving faith. In Christ, and he's thanking God for their pure belief in the true gospel that has come to them and it has changed them. It's made them into something that they were not before. They are something else now, and he's hearing about it and he's noticing it and he's commending them and he's praising God for it. Saints and siblings in Christ. And not only are they showing this new life in what they are believing, in their faith. We also see that they're showing this new life in how they are living. It's working its way out in them. The faith has come, the faith that has come to them is producing in them a love for their fellow saints. The faith that they have is a, is a living faith and that is leading them to fulfill the words of Jesus that we saw in John chapter 13, right? This new commandment. To love one another as Christ has loved us. And Paul is saying, yes, we're seeing it. It's happening. This real faith has set root in your heart and is producing real love for the brothers, just like Jesus said. And this love for the brothers 
It's not just a nice benefit to the faith. He's saying the, the, what we see is the love and the faith are inseparable. You don't have faith without the love. John, later in 1 John, makes this very clear. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. He says, we know that we have passed from out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So it's not just like, oh, that's, that's so great that you have faith, and there's this nice little benefit of love. It's like, no, he's, he's saying, I am fully confirming and affirming the faith that is in you because we're seeing it producing fruit of love. And Jesus said that if you have faith, you will love the brothers. And if you don't love the brothers, you do not have faith. He's basically saying, I thank God that you are not murderers. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what it says. If, if everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It's not an optional thing. So Paul is basically saying to the Colossians, I'm so thankful that you're actually Christians. Like the Spirit is alive and well in you. And then in verse 4, we see, Since we have heard of your faith in Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints. And then in verse 5, he, he says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now you notice three words here, right? Faith. Love and hope. Faith, love, and hope. We've seen Paul use these three terms before in Scripture. But here he seems to be saying that the faith and love that he's hearing about in the Colossians is actually flowing from their hope. He's, he's sort of giving it uh, some form here. He's not just sort of lumping them all in together. He's giving it some form here. He's, he's, he's giving us a because. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And that's a, that's a very important way to say it. The hope that is laid up for them in heaven. We've talked quite a bit recently about this idea of hope. And how the, the difference between our sort of Western American sensibilities way that we use the word hope contrasted to how the Bible uses the word hope. We've talked about it quite frequently that when we say hope, we generally just mean like, I kind of hope it happens. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. Probably won't. That's not how the Bible uses the word hope, and especially in this particular place. It's not a, oh, well, Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. Probably not. But it'd be nice if it would. This is not the hope that is fueling the faith and the love that Paul is describing of the church of Colossians. It's not a wishful thinking about something that may or may not, but probably won't happen. What we see here is that biblical hope is actually the anchor of the Christian life. Biblical hope is the anchor of the Christian life. Biblical hope is full confidence 
about something that is a coming reality. It's a full confidence in something that is a coming reality. Hebrews verse six, Hebrews chapter six, verse 19 says this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. You see where the Bible ties hope to? It doesn't just lob it up in the air and hope it lands somewhere nice. It's tying it directly to something of substance here. Sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Biblical hope anchors us. It anchors us. It doesn't weigh us down. It doesn't burden us. It doesn't crush us, but it anchors us. Now, a few days ago, I went to, I was invited to this, uh, this benefit for a friend of ours. I was put on in, in her honor. And some of you may have heard of her and her story. Um, she's a singer. She's actually an art. She was an artist. And uh, we knew her from kind of some previous church that we went to. And I'm good, really good friends with her brother. And, and so about five years ago, um, this young lady, her name is Jane. Um, about five years ago, Jane was diagnosed with cancer. She was in her late 20s. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, Jane, who goes by sort of the stage name of Nightbird, kind of like her musical name. Uh, but Jane was, uh, was diagnosed with cancer, and she was given like two years to live at the time. Um, uh, well, two years ago, um, Jane was sort of in the midst of this battle with cancer. She's like right in the, the heart of it, the throes of it. And she's kind of having ups and downs, good seasons, bad seasons. Uh, but she actually has the opportunity at, at two years ago to audition for a show called America's Got Talent. Maybe you've heard of the show. I don't know. But she, she had an opportunity to, to go and audition for this show. Um, and if you haven't seen the video, I, I really highly recommend you to go and watch it. Her name's Nightbird. Just Google Nightbird and you'll find it. Um, but she, she has an opportunity to go and uh, audition for this show uh, in front of millions of people. Simon Cowell's there, the whole gang, the bald guy, what's his name, Howie, something. Uh, the whole gang is there, and she gets up on this stage, and she has this opportunity. And she is able to kind of talk a little bit about what is going on with her life. And it comes, you know, obviously they, you know, the show kind of wants to lean into stories like that. But, but she's given this opportunity now to, to, to talk and to share about what's going on in her life. And, and it comes out that, you know, yes, I, I've been diagnosed with cancer. And you know, this is this sort of uh, uh, sentence, so to speak, that I've been given because of it. And here's what's going on in my life. And, and she goes on. And, and the, the people there, the, the judges are sort of like taken aback by her. Taken aback by her sort of just like resolute calmness and like her, her joy that's still exuding in the face of like, they asked her the question like, so what's, so what's going on right now? She's like, yeah, I currently have cancer in my spine and my lungs. And she's like kind of rattling these things off. And, and you can just see like the countenance on her face. And everybody in the room is sort of like stunned by it. They're like, what? You can tell in their minds it's just not adding up. Like, w- like what is happening with this person? And she goes on to, to sing her song. It's a beautiful song. And she does really, really well in her audition. And, um, 
you know, she, she, tell, she ends up telling them that, you know, she, she was really actually given like a 2% chance to live. But she, but she crushes this audition, and the, the people there are just blown away. And if you, if you go and you actually read the, the YouTube comments of the, 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 the video of her performing, you read comment after comment after comment after comment after comment of people noticing something about her. And what do you think that is that they're noticing about her? Obviously, she's a beautiful singer. Obviously, the song is a great song. I think the video has like 65 million views or something now. Like it's, it's a big deal. But, but the thing that you see over and over and over and over of people noticing about Jane, and Jane's a believer. Jane's a strong believer in the Lord. They notice her hope. <laughs> they notice that in the midst of this battle with cancer, in the midst of what, the, what everything, the doctors, what everyone would describe as, by worldly standards, a hopeless situation. A, a 29-year-old woman who is diagnosed with breast cancer with 2% chance to live. That's pretty hopeless by worldly standards. But Jane was given this opportunity and in that moment, you could see the difference. And it's stark. It's a stark difference. The way she carries herself, the way that she explains what's happening, the context with which she puts her suffering into, you can tell that this woman, Jane, was anchored to something. She was anchored to something. There was something happening in and through Jane that was much more than just wishful thinking. She wasn't just saying, oh, I hope I get better someday. Maybe I'll be healed. Maybe the cancer will go away. No, it was much, much deeper. She's like, yeah, I know that I'm probably going to die from this. And that's okay. In fact, the title of the song that she's saying is, It's Okay. God had implanted something deep within her. A hope that was actually real. A real hope in a real-life situation where hope was actually desperately needed. He had anchored her to himself. And her cancer could not strip her away from his hand. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Peter talks about this objective reality of the hope that we have in Christ. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Does that language ring a bell? rings a bell because this is what Paul is talking about here. This hope that the Colossian church has is the same hope that Peter is talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1. And the object of that hope, the objective reality of that hope, is found in the objective reality of the resurrected Christ. The objective reality of the hope that he's talking about here is found in and only in 
the objective reality of the resurrected Christ. That's where the hope is. That's where the hope comes from. Our hope is inseparable from Christ. He is our hope. As long as Christ is alive, our hope is alive. As long as Christ is alive and well and seated at the right hand of the Father, our hope as believers, the hope that Paul is talking about in Colossians 1, is alive. You are never hopeless as long as Jesus is alive. His resurrection was the final nail in the coffin for hopelessness. Hopelessness does not live in the believer because Jesus lives. In fact, later in this very chapter, Paul emphasizes this point in verse 27. He says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. It means that in order to have hope, you have to have Jesus. In order to have hope, you have to have Jesus. If you don't have him, you're not going to have a true and lasting hope. You can have hopes. You can have things that you're trying to hang your hat on. You can have things that you're trying to anchor yourself to. But those things are just going to get tossed in the storm along with you. You're not going to be anchored when the waves of pain, and the waves of grief, the waves of cancer, the waves of loss. When those waves come, and they will come. Unless you have a living hope, we won't, we won't stand. We won't last. In order to have that hope, we must be united to Jesus. And this means that, as Paul says in the second half of verse 5, true hope only comes to us through the gospel. True hope only comes to us through the gospel. Look at verse 5. Of this hope, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Where did they hear of the hope? Where did they get the hope? Where did the, co- where did the hope come from? They heard it before where? In the word of truth. What is the word of truth? The gospel. The gospel. The truth about, the, the, the truth about God. The truth about who He is. About who we are. The truth about Christ. And this truth is only found in the gospel. If true biblical hope is inseparable from Christ himself, then there is only one way for that hope to come to us. We must be united with Christ himself. And how do we become united with Christ? The gospel. (laughs) That's it. It's the only way to get united with Christ. There's no other workarounds. Apart from the truth of the gospel, there is no hope. And Paul's reminding us of this. The faith and the love that he's hearing about in the Colossians is founded upon the hope that they have because they are united with Christ. And they are united with Christ because they have heard and believed the truth of the gospel. And so they're set. They're anchored. They're dug in. 
They're tethered to the reality that is God himself. The reality that's unfolded for us when we read chapters like Romans 8. When it says, like, there's, there's nothing. There's, there's nothing in heaven or on earth. No powers or principalities or darkness or, or nakedness or sickness or death that can take us from the love of God. Why? Because we're anchored to him. We're tied to him. And this anchor is our hope. And we are connected to him in one way and one way only. Through the person and the work of Jesus Christ himself. That's it. And this gospel, when it comes, we see here, as we keep reading, the gospel gets to work. When the gospel comes, the gospel gets to work. Look what Paul says next in verse 6. The gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the world, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. You see, when the gospel shows up, the fruit begins to grow. That's where it comes from. If the gospel's not there, if there's not hope attached in and through the gospel, producing faith and love and all the other fruits of the Spirit, the gospel's not there. But when it does show up, People start to change. People change. That's what the gospel does. People begin to change. Their behavior begins to change. Who they are has already changed, and their behavior begins to change to line up with who God says that they already are. But, that, but you've got to be careful, right? Let's not confuse the fact that the gospel produces good works with the reality that the gospel comes to us only through grace. The gospel comes to us only through grace. Now at the time that Paul is writing this, we, we see indications that there are false teachers already in the church of Colossae. And they're, they're working against the gospel as false teachers tend to do they come in and they want to unseat the gospel they want to take out a little part or a piece or they want to cut one of the legs out of the gospel or they want to just get rid of the gospel altogether or just twist it a little bit and some people would say that these false teachers uh, were undermining the gospel by teaching that salvation comes through works and this is a, a popular refrain for false teachers Wanting to, to, to cram works back in there somewhere along the line. Now that may or may not be the case here. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is that we have to constantly be fighting against this own drift in our own hearts. We have to constantly be working against the drift of our hearts to slip back into either legalism which, which says, yeah, I, I, I got I to gotta earn this. I got to work my way in. I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to. Or license that says, eh, it's all fine. Just do whatever we want. All right, we got to constantly be fighting against these two extremes. We got to be fighting to get ourselves out of the way and see the gospel for what it actually truly is, which is, as it described here, the grace of God 
in truth. Grace of God in truth. The gospel is truth. It's certainly truth. It's the truest thing that there is. The reality about who God is is the truest thing that could ever be spoken. It's the truth about the reality of God, who He is, what He's like, the truth of judgment. The fact that everyone who lives will face judgment for their life. That's true. The truth of punishment. That God is holy and He will not tolerate sin. That's true. And all who sin must be punished. That's true. Sin must be punished. That's a true reality. The truth of creation, that God is creator and we are not. We are the created. That's true. The gospel is the truth about who we are. That we are, in fact, those sinners. And that we have earned the punishment of God because of our sin. That's true. And that we cannot stay in our current state apart from Him. If we want to survive God's judgment, we have to change. The Bible is very clear about that. If you want to survive the judgment of God, something about you has to change. You are not going to make it on your own. That's true. And the fact that God would show us those things, one might say, in and of itself, is grace. Warning someone of a coming calamity is a good thing. Hey, you're about to drive off that cliff. Don't do that. That's a good thing. But the reality is, God's grace is so much better than even that. Because not only does God warn us of the coming judgment, He gives us a heads up that we got to change. He gives us that. But He knows that we, in fact, do not have the ability in and of ourselves to produce the change that is needed to avoid this punishment. We don't have it, we don't have what it takes. So God himself makes the way for us. He makes the way for us. This is grace. The grace of God in the truth. This is grace. Not that God gives us the heads up so we can get our act together. That's not grace. That's just a warning. That's a good thing to do, but it's not sufficient for what we need. It's not the gospel. The gospel is grace. The gospel is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news. The gospel does not just warn us and call us to get our act together. The gospel gets our act together for us. The gospel tells us that on our own, we are, in fact, hopeless. We're hopeless. 
And we have no answer for the problem that we find ourselves in. We have nothing to look forward to. We have nothing to fall back on. This is true. But the gospel is the grace of God in truth. When the truth collides with us, God follows it right with the, with the grace of what he has to offer. He meets us with grace. So he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't just drop the note of bad news in our mailbox and drive away. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7 says this. Let's listen. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But that's the truth, right? But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's the grace of God in truth coming to us. It doesn't pull back punches. You read the first, the first verse tells us the truth about who you are, who you were. If you're apart from Christ, that's who you are right now. If you're in Christ, that's who you used to be. But the loving kindness and the goodness and the grace of God comes to us and He saves us. He doesn't look at us and say, are you save worthy? He's not simply asking us to get our act together. He gets our act together by working in and through us as we throw ourselves at his mercy and we believe the truth of the gospel again and again and we throw ourselves at his mercy and we believe and he works it in and through us, in and through us. We are not saved by our works. We're also not saved because of our works. Our works are not the mechanism of our salvation. Our works are also not the worth of our salvation. We're saved by His grace. And when that grace invades our lives, it takes root. As we see with the church in Colossians, it takes root in our hearts and we begin to love people that we... Why would we love? <laughs> we have no other reason to love. We're called to love. And we see them now. We see them differently. We see them now through the lens of who we once were and who they once were and now who we are together. We're no longer 
enemies and aliens. We are brothers and sisters in the family of God. Siblings in Christ. And we are together, tied and tethered and anchored to the truth and the reality of who God is. The king of the universe that we are tied to forevermore and anchored to. And this gives us hope. This gives us hope. We can, we can live in this hope. We can, we can dwell in this hope because we know that as long as Jesus is alive, our hope is alive. And we will be with him. And he will keep us with him forevermore. And this, this, this faith and this, this love, it takes root in our hearts and our lives. And we begin to bear more fruit. And we begin to bear more and more fruit. We begin to love each other more. We begin to see things like gentleness and kindness and self-control and faithfulness and joy and peace and all these things that we so desperately want in our own hearts and the hearts of those around us. And God begins to work it in and through us because we are tied to him. Our hope is living hope. And that hope can last <laughs> because it's alive it's not just something that we take off a shelf and put in our pocket this hope is the person of jesus who's alive and well and he's seated at the right hand of the father and he's speaking better words about us he's interceding for us to the father and when we sin he's advocating for us on our behalf to the father right now this isn't something that happened two thousand years ago this isn't something that's going to happen two thousand years from now it's happening right now if you are in Christ, that's your reality. And this is what fuels and drives and feeds our hope. And our hope is what keeps us together. Let's pray. God, we just praise you. We praise you for this hope. Praise you for the hope that you have given us. The hope that you have given us is your grace to us. We are undeserving. But you in your kindness, you have come to us and you've rescued us. You've pulled us out of death and you've brought us to life. And you have seated us with Christ, your son, in the heavens. And you've given us this perfect, undefilable, imperishing hope that is with you, is laid up for us. We get hope for now. We get future glory with you forever. And God, we want your help now to rest in this hope. Some of us in here came into this room feeling hopeless this morning. We felt like there was no hope. We look around us and everything's going crazy. We look within us and everything's going crazy. We open up our phone and everything's going crazy. We talk to people, and it seems like they're going crazy, and they think we're going crazy. And God, we desperately need to be infused with the hope, the unshakable, unmovable, anchored hope in you that has sustained your people from the time that you started the church, and it will sustain your people until we see you, and our hope will be in front of us. It won't be hope anymore. It'll be realized, and our hopes will have come true, and we will see you and we'll be with you forever. God, give us this picture. Give us this picture of glory. 
Help us to see what you have for us. Help us to lift our eyes, as Paul says later in Colossians, to get our eyes off of the things that are below and get our eyes on the things that are above, where our hope lives. God, would you help us this morning? Would you breathe your fresh life into our hearts? Would you minister to our hurting and, and tired and angry and cold souls this morning? Would you warm us? Would you give us life? And would you invigorate our hope this morning, God? We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.